Oh, they'll fake it. Bates throws it. He's got him. Wide open. He's got Charlie Gant inside the 10. He can walk in. Spartans win. Touchdown, MSU. Whoa, he has trouble with the snap. And the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan State. Jalen wants Jackson. And he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Green and White Noise, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. My name is Chris Vanini. I'm joined by Colton Pouncey this time. It's been a while. We are your hosts, and it's time to talk Michigan State football. Uh, if you haven't checked out the past couple weeks, uh, Colton and I were doing separate things. Uh, two weeks ago, I talked with uh, former MSU writer Lynn Henning about the death of George Perlis. Last week, Colton talked with former MSU linebacker Damian Harris about a, a bunch of issues. Uh, but now we're back together for the first time in a few weeks. Colton, what's going on, man? Nothing much. Uh, things have been quiet. Uh, it's the off season, so I've had some some time to catch up on some Netflix shows. I've been meaning to watch for a while. Um, it's a good call, Chris. You got to watch The Circle. I'm telling you. So I have that next. I mean, I'm either doing that or Morning Show because okay. I found out my mom's got an Apple TV account. Nice. Okay. So I've been uh, discussing with some people about which one I should do next. Okay. Either one. I will. I know. I, I know. I'm behind on that one. Uh, but yeah, we've had a lot of time to catch up on shows because, well, there has not been a lot of Michigan State news nope. in recent weeks. Not much news on the recruiting front, not much uh, news on the coaching front. And uh, last week when Colton had to do the podcast, I was at the uh, football coaches convention in Nashville. And I talked to a couple people close to the Michigan State program and it's just like, you know, are there any changes coming? Does anybody know? And they didn't really seem to know at that point. It's it's possible things could uh, could change, but as a, you know, it, it was it was a year ago, right at the convention, when D'Antonio announced he was shuffling everything around. And one reason for that is because right after the convention is when all the coaches go out on the road recruiting for two plus weeks until uh, the February February signing day. So you're probably not going to have, you're not going to fire guys during that period because you got to have all your guys or as many as you can on the road recruiting. So that's what Michigan state's been doing now. So if changes come, I would expect that to happen in early February after signing day, whether that means guys retire or accept jobs elsewhere doesn't seem to me that Tony is just going to fire guys because it's already almost the end of January. And if he was going to do that, he would have done that in December. So and, and as, as it's been said many times before firing coaches, is just not something he's done. He's really only done it one time, Ted Gill, defensive line coach. Um, so it's still possible changes could come. I would be surprised if nothing changed, but you know, at this point, a lot of your top targets are probably off the board if you were going to go for some radical change. So that's kind of my read on where the coaching situation is right now. Uh, possible changes in a couple weeks, maybe. I wouldn't expect anything drastic at this point because it's already so late in the calendar. Um, Colton, any thoughts on kind of how things have, I guess, not played out? Yeah, it, it's been slow, and I, I thought we would have heard something at this point. Um, just based on last year's timeline and 
that didn't happen after the coaches convention. That was probably the, the time that we were all pointing to maybe a couple days after Tony has time to kind of collect his thoughts and go from there. Um, you know, it's been over a week since the convention, maybe like two weeks, I think almost. Um, yeah. So the timeline's been pushed back. And I still think anyone who was expecting this sort of mass overhaul, you know, they probably have been paying attention in the last 13 years. <laughs> That's not how D'Antonio really conducts things. It's never really been a style. So, you know, yeah, the longer this drags out, I think the more, you know, questions there are going to be. Uh, you know, I was at the Michigan High School Coaches Convention in Lansing. Um, so me and two other reporters tried to get a hold of D'Antonio after he finished his 10-minute speech. And uh, he had a couple guys blocking us from him and just walked straight out and um, I get it. You know, he was on the road recruiting, but he normally talks at these events at least for a couple minutes. And, you know, we last year he was there right after he made staff changes and was able to talk about some things. And this year he just kind of went out the door. So I think we're all at a standstill right now until D'Antonio either announces that everyone's coming back or announces some some changes to his staff. Yeah, I, I'm sure also part of the reason he didn't want to talk was the Curtis Blackwell stuff. Sure. About two weeks, about two weeks ago now, D'Antonio was... Uh, officially i guess deposed for several hours nothing has obviously come out of that yet but uh, the detroit news wrote about things from curtis blackwell's side uh tony uh, curtis blackwell was actually at the convention uh, i saw him walking around in nashville um mm. it's where a lot of coaches go to get jobs blackwell has obviously been looking for uh, a job and that's the whole reason he's suing d'antonio and other people so I don't I don't know how long that's gonna play out, but Tony Tony Paul with the Detroit News had a good long timeline of kind of this whole Blackwell timeline from when he got hired to everything and everything has played out. It's 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 worth a read. Um, but the, the the biggest thing I get from a lot of folks is that everybody's surprised that Antonio didn't settle that out of court. You know he just got a four million dollar bonus, uh, but the sense I get from people who've worked around him is that he really just really stubbornly wants to fight this and completely believes uh, he's in the right on this. And so it's going to keep on going and it's sounds like it's taken a lot out of him. I, I don't know what role it's played in any coaching searches or any uh, changes or anything like that, but uh, he's got a lot going on and he's not talking and it's, it's uh, all of this is obviously not helping with what he wants to do. And, before we got on, Colton, I asked you if there was anything new going on in, in recruiting and uh, for 2020, at least. And the class is mostly full. And, you know, you told me that they're throwing out recruiting some guys who don't have many power five offers. So there's not much news going on there. But it's just, you know, it's interesting. We've talked about it before about compare this to a couple other coaches. So a, a year ago, Navy goes three and ten. Coach fires a longtime defense coordinator and a bunch of defensive assistants, changes the offense to fit the quarterback. They win 11 games this year. Uh, at Arizona State, Herm Edwards fires several coaches right at the end of the regular season, uh, hires an offense coordinator from Boise State, gets a lot of coaches in. And it has been recruiting pretty well as well. So it's it's a fascinating contrast uh, in different styles of how to handle this, but D'Antonio is going to keep doing what he's doing. Whether that's going to work out, uh, we'll see, but it hasn't for a while. So that's where that is. Uh, so we're going to look ahead to 2020 here now for the rest of this uh, podcast this week at The Athletic. Everybody, all of the beat writers and a number of national writers uh, did some offensive and defensive and special teams 2020 depth chart projections. 
And I wanted to talk a little bit about the the offensive side because this is where all the questions are for Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Quarterback, wide receivers, everything going on. Uh, before we get into the details, Colton, you're, as you were putting this together, what were your kind of impressions about what the MSU offense is going to be in 2020? Um, I think the first thing that stands out is kind of the young talent. Um, you know, when you lose – you know, your top two receivers and Daryl Stewart and Cody White, it kind of opens the door for some young players to kind of emerge there. Um, you know, I knew right in the quarterback section that that was going to get people fired up one way or the other. <laughs> so uh, I kind of expected some of the reaction in the comment section, but uh, we can get to that in a second. But I, I do think there's some good young talent to point to, um, you know, especially that receiver position. And they have so many options there, a lot of unproven guys, but, you know, someone's going to have to step up and, it should be interesting to watch unfold there. Um, I think the offensive line is still a question mark. You know, in the in the story, I kind of broke down what happened with the offensive line this year and all the injuries and substitutions and things like that. Um, and I think most of those guys come back, so you're going to have some more competition, some young players emerging there um, that we saw this past season. So um, a lot of question marks. Uh, that's what happens when you lose a ton on, on offense and defense, really. Um, but I think there are some young players to be excited about here. A lot of question marks. And, I mean, let's start at quarterback here. Yep. You know, there a lot of MSU fans want Michigan State to go after Chase Bryce, the transferring Clemson quarterback who's in the transfer portal. MSU uh, recruited him when he was in high school, and it sounds like some teams who were on, in on him before are trying to get in on him again, but there hasn't been a ton of details on any of that. No idea if MSU's in it. I did not get a sense that they're – that they're actively looking for a transfer quarterback, that they like what they have. But there was a comment in here on your offensive depth chart piece uh, that I think kind of says it all. Uh, most, Like you said, most of, these, most of these comments are about quarterback. And someone says, deciding the starting QB on the basis of who paid their dues is an example of thinking that keeps MSU as a middling Big Ten program. Talent should win out. If you don't have the talent, go get it. That's from Kenneth B., uh, he may, he mentioned that because that's part of the reasoning why everybody right now is is thinking Rocky Lombardi would be the starter. You listed him as a starter right now, but we don't know how it's all going to play out. But what what do you make of of that and the three options: Rocky Lombardi, Theo Day, Peyton Thorne at quarterback? Yeah, I mean, I went with Rocky just because he's the only guy we've gotten excited to look at, you right. know, and. When you try to decide a position as important as quarterback, I, I think knowing the staff and how they kind of operated over the years, they go with the guy that has been experienced. And, you know, even dating back to Big Ten media days in July last year, um, D'Antonio was asked about Brian Lewerke and his return and also managed to mention Rocky and said, hey, keep an eye on him. And, uh, you know, that was back then. Uh, Rocky didn't have a real chance to, to show if he had really improved or not this season. You know, he threw 21 passes and, a lot of that was in mop-up duty with, you know, the twos. So it's kind of hard to show what you can do when you're kind of pushed in and out of games late. Um, but, you know, he's a guy that, you know, his first career start threw for 318 passing yards, which was the second most by Spartan, his first career start. Um, you know, from the rest of the season on, he didn't really show much improvement. But, again, he was a retro freshman. And if you're talking about this quarterback position, you know, Theo Day was a retro freshman last year. He threw three passes. And, uh, you know, and got pulled out of a game for calling the wrong play. Exactly. And, and Peyton Thorne, you know, he'll be a redshirt freshman in 2020. Um, we're talking about that's that's where Rocky Lombardi was a couple of years ago. So players improve over time. Uh, 
my sense is that Rocky is a very hard worker. Um, you know, last season he, last off season he went to Florida to kind of work on his throwing mechanics and say he wanted like a quicker release. Um, you know, in November he was talking about ball placement and specific things that he wants to work on. So it seems like he's a player that's kind of aware of his flaws and is trying to work to get better. And, you know, he hasn't had the chance to show what he can do. And he'll get that chance uh, in spring practices and fall practices. And I think it'll be his job to lose. That doesn't mean other quarterbacks can't make a push, but just knowing his experience and his mindset and the fact that he's really loved in that locker room, I think all signs are pointing to him as of now if I had to pick a quarterback. In 2013, the Rose Bowl year, that was a year I actually started with Andrew Maxwell uh, continuing after a not great 2012 season. It took a little bit for them to eventually move on to Connor Cook, a, a younger guy, even though Cook had played in the bowl game in 2012. You look at Tyler O'Connor in 2016, uh, that eventually there was, uh, there was O'Connor, there was Damian Terry, there were other players. It was kind of all over the place. He does typically go with these older guys at least to start unless somebody surprises and, and wins it out with, with Lombardi. The biggest thing to me is just his touch. He mm-hmm. throws him, throws a fastball every single time he can throw it a mile, but when you only got to throw it 15 yards, you don't, you don't need to throw it up. You don't need to try to throw it a mile. So, yeah. and yeah, we didn't see that. That was, I think a disappointment for MSU in the, in the pinstripe bowl was, thought you'd get some look at these guys because winning the game honestly did not matter all that much, but clearly the most important thing to them was winning the game and they went, and they went with it. So, you know, we, we know what we get from, from Rocky Lombardi. Um, I don't know what, what, what we haven't seen, barely seen Theo day and Peyton Thorne. I know you just kind of talked about him mm-hmm. a bit, but if either one of those guys were to win the job, what, what would they have to do? What are their, you think their best traits that, could see them have a chance to win it out. Yeah, so for Theo Day, you know, obviously his height kind of stands out and, and his big arm. Um, he's about 6'5". Uh, you stand next to him, you get the sense of how big he is. Um, he's more of a pro-style quarterback, and he was kind of recruited before Michigan State kind of went with this more up-tempo, a little bit more RPO system that they're running now. Um, the thing with Theo Day, you don't you don't hear a ton about him. Um I know that's because Brian Lowerke was a starter and Rocky was a clear number two. Um, so what we're going to find out about Theo Day is, is if he can play or not this, this spring and fall. Like seeing him in practice is a limited time that we do. This is the time that we're going to at least hear from coaches about how he's progressing. And that'll be some some real actual, you know, productive sentences and, and evaluations, not just like, oh, you know, he's our third string. He's coming along. We're going to actually hear how he's doing um, for the first time since he's been at Michigan State. And, you know, this will be his third season on campus. You know, this is the time to make a move or get passed up. Um, so you don't hear a ton about Theo Day again, but I think he's got some promise. You know, he was a borderline four-star recruit coming out of high school. And you want to see what that guy can do before you you just decide to move on or, or elevate him. And under him, you know, a lot of fans are in on Peyton Thorne, which, you know, it's it's funny. Everybody loves the everybody loves the backup slash third string quarterback. Really, and maybe that's just a product of how quarterback play has been at Michigan State the last couple of years that they're just searching for something. But you know, I've never seen him throw a pass except you know in the practice five yard outs that they do. Um, you know, he if you're watching his high school tape, it looks good. You know, he was a three year starter I think in in high school. Um, played for his dad. His dad is a Division three head coach and won national championship. North Central College in Naperville, Illinois. 
So I think, you know, he's been around football his whole life. He's a smart kid. He's kind of a wizard on the, on the chalkboard a little bit. So I think just reading some things about him like that excites people. But at the same time, you know, he's going to be a redshirt freshman. Um, I, was Kirk Cousins a redshirt freshman when he took the starting job? He was a, let's see, he redshirted in, oh, he was a redshirt. It was 9, 10, 11. Yeah, he, uh, senior year was 11. No, senior year was, yeah, 2011. He redshirted yeah. to 11, 10, 9, 8, 7. Redshirted in 7, redshirt freshman in 08, redshirt sophomore in 09. Okay, so he took over in 09? Yeah. Okay, so he's a retro sophomore. Yeah, I, I don't think a retro freshman's ever took the starting job at Michigan State under D'Antonio. So that would yeah, be a... Cook was 13, 14, 15. Yeah, Cook was a sophomore as well. Yeah. So that would be a huge jump for, for a guy like Peyton Thorne if he were to come in and win the job. And my, my concern there is if the two quarterbacks ahead of him are both older and have less time and you give the job to a retro freshman, those guys are going to start looking for their options. And... You know, a guy like Rocky Lombardi, who has two years left, uh, have to assume he's going to be looking at the transfer portal. Maybe Theo Day, because he's been on campus. This will be his third year. If he gets passed up by someone younger than him, what does he start looking around at that point? So, you know, I think there's if there's going to be a move, I think it's more likely to come during the season than at the start. Just like, you know, look at the running back position last year. Um, Connor Hayward and Ladarius Jefferson were both ahead of Elijah Collins. But Antonio said that was going to be a competition, something that kind of, Goes on, continues into that first, second week of the season, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, Collins took the job in week two. Those two other guys transferred. Um, so if there's going to be a move, I could see it happening more in that situation. You kind of like take the first couple of games to evaluate. Although Northwestern is going to be a lot tougher than Tulsa to start the season. Um, but I, I do think that evaluation kind of will continue on to the regular season. Um, but in, in my opinion, I think Rocky is going to be the, the guy that gets a start against Northwestern in week one. I do think it's possible, likely that they do exactly what you said, but I also think that's the wrong way to do it. You know, yeah. if if, uh, if if you're trying to, if you don't want to start a younger guy because you think older guys might transfer, then that means you're not putting the best guy out there. And I, you know, you saw what look what Clemson did last year when Trevor Lawrence eventually took over. And yeah, they lost Kelly Bryant, but you know, you couldn't deny what Trevor Lawrence was. If you got a guy and he's a younger guy, a quarterback, you got to uh, got to go with him. Yeah. Uh, Probably the lone position that MSU probably feels pretty good about is uh, running back. You know, mm-hmm. uh, a, a year ago, didn't really know who was going to take the lead at running back, but Elijah Collins is clearly a solid guy. Had a good retro freshman season, and some guys behind him who have some potential. But you know, how do you feel about that running back spot? Yeah, it's it's a lot, I think you feel a lot better about it this year than you did last year. Um, that's all because of Elijah Collins and what he was able to do as a as a redshirt freshman. Um, you know, he's got three years of eligibility left, you know, maybe he's good enough to go to the NFL early, but I think you're set with him as your starter for the rest of the way. Um, you know, the, the patience, the vision, the burst that he showed was something that really no other running back on the roster had. So I think for him to come in and, and run with that position the way he did was really kind of calm the nerves a little bit for the fan base and probably the coaching staff as well. Um, his backups, I think that's the interesting thing here. You got a couple options and, and some versatility as well. Uh, Brandon Wright, I, I was really high on him coming out of high school. Um, he's a big physical power back. You know, he has some breakaway speed. You know, he was a he ran track in high school and was pretty pretty fast um, for for his size. So I think he could be an ideal kind of change of pace back 
if you're looking for that goal linebacker, even someone that can kind of spell Collins when he needs a break, um, I think he can come along this spring. Anthony Williams, he was a guy that kind of grabbed everyone's attention as an early enrollee. And the spring game last year, he showed, you know, some spin moves and just kind of some uh, versatility there. And I, I think he's a really good pass catching back, which, you know, if you watch the pinstripe bowl and how MSU mm-hmm. was using him, it was kind of this like combo running back wide receiver setup, like right. kind of like RJ Shelton. That's been kind of his comp for, for the last year or so. Um, a guy that can split out wide or, or, you know, come out of the backfield. I think that'll be his role. Um, and then I, I put him here, even though he hasn't officially signed yet, but Jordan Simmons, a running back out of Georgia, he'll, he's a 2020 commit. Um, he is the only player that didn't sign during the early period. Yeah. I still, I still think he's expected to sign um, in February uh, with Michigan State. And if, if they can land him, that's a great recruit. You know, I'm, It's hard to really consider him part of the class, but I, I do think he'll sign, so that's the reason why I put him here. Um, you know, he's got that breakaway speed even more so than Brandon Wright, like I just mentioned, you know, he's, I think he runs like a four, three, eight, 40. That's what he was tested at. So he's got some speed, um, you know, get it anytime you can get a running back out of Georgia, like the kind of athlete that Simmons is like, that's going to be a boost for your backfield. So, um, having four scholarship running backs like that, I, I think that's a good start. Yeah. You maybe a fifth one, if they can add one, the next couple of weeks would kind of solidify things in the roster. But I think you have to feel good about those guys. You got a lot of versatility, um, a few options, a few different traits. Um, so the running back position is looking a lot better shape than it was last year. And speaking of speed, uh, wide receiver is a spot that took a hit with Cody White surprisingly leaving early for the NFL. But there's still, I think, a lot of potential here. We saw Jalen Naylor in the pinstripe bowl. I hadn't seen him since, what, the first game, if, if that. Yeah. He clearly has speed that nobody else on the team seems to have. Mm-hmm. Jaden Reed, a former freshman All-American at Western Michigan, had transferred. He's eligible. I thought Julian Barnett showed a lot of positive signs late in the year as a future, potentially a, uh, a guy, unless he decides to play different positions on different sides of the ball. Uh, but what do you make of the receivers and, and what's potential there? Yeah, so – my starters, I had Jalen Naylor, Jaden Reed, and Trey Mosley. Um, I know a lot of people point towards Julian Barnett. I think he's probably more needed on defense. And, probably. you know, I know the coaches that said, you know, Trey, so Trayvon Morgan was another receiver from the 2019 class. Uh, he kind of got hurt in fall camp. A six um, foot seven, by the way, Trayvon yeah. Morgan. So that position was already kind of thin. A little, if, if, if you look at it going into fall camp last year with his injury and, you know, they, you know it, it was a little thin and I think they want some more depth on that side of the ball. So when you have an athlete like Julian Barnett that can play either way, I think their natural thought was, hey, you know, cornerback's looking looking strong. We got Josiah Scott, Josh Butler, redshirt senior, and some other guys there that could be promising and take, the, take a step this year. So let's put Barnett on offense. That'll probably be his best way to get on the field early. Yeah, so they, Bar- Barnett. Yeah, Barnett feels like a Justin Lane, Tony Lippett type of guy. Yeah, especially Tony Lippett. I think they they look like similar similar guys. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, watching him, he made some mistakes. Uh, he kind of talked about how the offense has been patient with him. He said Brian Lewerke is encouraging him uh, during practices last year when he would mess up and make some freshman mistakes, learning on the job. Um, and talking to him in November, it was after the Maryland game. Um, you know, he kind of made it clear that 
his heart's on defense. He said, I'm a defensive player at heart. Um, the, don't get me wrong. Like, offense is nice. Like, scoring a touchdown, there's no feeling like it. But, like, I like I have a defensive mindset. And when he said that and hearing D'Antonio's comments that, yeah, we could play him on both both sides of the ball. And then seeing Josiah Scott in the draft, um, obviously Josh Butler graduated. So the cornerback position is kind of my, more wide open than wide receiver at the moment. Things are kind of flipped in terms of depth and things like that. So I could see him starring on, on, on defense this year and being maybe a lockdown cornerback, just given his athletic ability, the traits, the mindset. Um, so I think he's more neat on that side of the ball this year. But a, a product of that is the depth at wide receiver. You know, Naylor, Reed, Mosley, I think all those guys can be good players. Uh, Naylor, we, he has to stay healthy. He's got to stay on the field. Um, that's the number one thing for him. Reed, you didn't have him last year, but, you know, players are talking about how, de- how dynamic he's been in practice. So I think they're looking forward to seeing what he can do this year. Obviously, they saw what he could do at Western Michigan. And then Trey Mosley, he finished the, the season really strong. Um, you know, D'Antonio was kind of, Worried about, okay, should we redshirt him? Should we play him? Um, once uh, Daryl Stewart went out in that Penn State game, it was kind of solidified. Like, hey, yeah, we got to play this kid. He's good. And um, he makes difficult contested catches, which, you know, Michigan State finished 10th in drops this year. So, um, really? Never, yeah. 10th never, is actually not as bad as I thought because they were first like halfway through the year. They were first. Then they dropped a third at one point when I checked. And I checked again after the season. They, they fell to 10th, which is, is better. You know, things improved. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> only 10th in the country yeah. in drops. Yeah. yeah. Um, but when you have a guy like Trey Mosley that can make those catches, you got to play him. So I think those three and then Trayvon Morgan, like you mentioned, you know, he's a big dude. Uh, will probably be a great red zone target. Um you know, you still got some young guys, uh, Terry Lockett, Ricky White, two recruits. Ricky White was just bumped up to a four-star on Rivals this week. Um, so you got some impressive guys and then some returning depth like C.J. Hayes and Luis Nelson. So uh, a lot more options here than there were last year. And I think wide receiver, it's about finding the right guys and, and, and finding the productive players out of this group. But I think there's a lot to like here. Yeah, we'll t- touch on tight end just real quickly. Uh, this is a tough spot. Uh, Noah Davis transferred. Matt Dodson tore his Achilles in November, and that's usually like a year-long injury. I, I'd be surprised if he played next year. Um, and Matt Cyber graduated. It was a good year for the tight end position last year for Michigan State. It was the most tight end catches they'd had since like 2010 or something like that when they had a lot of guys on there. So it was mm-hmm. quietly a really solid position since Mark Staten had moved over there to take coach that as part of the shuffle. But this year it's, uh, it's tough. Dodson's injured. Trenton Gillison is the starter by default, although you think there's a chance for him to do something. Um, Adam Berghorst, uh, Parks Gisinger were guys recruited as defensive ends that moved to tight end. So there's not a lot there. Uh, Tommy Guard, how do you say it? Guarado. Guarado, uh, yeah. Yeah, he could, he, he's a pass catcher who could see quite a bit of playing time if uh, they need him because there's not a lot there. Um so when we're going to wrap this up with, I think the most important position, uh, and that's the offensive line. This this unit has been absolutely decimated the last two years with injuries, and when this when this group isn't working, nothing else works for for MSU. Um, number of guys back, whether or not they play, we don't know. But you know, what do you just as a whole make of the group? Uh it's it's tough. You know, tough because we haven't seen any. It's not like these were established guys who they lost. They're potential guys who were injured, so that you still don't really know. Right, and I think this year, you know, 
2018, there were a ton of injuries here. And, you know, they're bringing back some guys. They're getting some some highly rated recruits coming in. So I think this in 2019, you're hoping to see some of those guys gel. But, I mean, the way the I, I kind of mapped out how <laughs> what happened with the offensive line this year. Yeah. So many injuries again. And it's becoming a theme. And until you see these guys stick on the field together, it's really hard to evaluate it. But, um, you know, based on there are a bunch of advanced metrics, uh, football outsiders, you can go check that out on college offensive lines. Uh, in terms of the rushing attack, Michigan State did not rank very high. I think uh, their 80s, 90s, and the 100s ranks in, in various categories there. And so, again, it's, it's, it's hard to evaluate. Like, if you're looking at those numbers, Michigan State was not a great offensive line. Hasn't been a great offensive line in the past couple of years. But injuries kind of complicate things. And um, I think that's part of the evaluation, right? These guys got to stay healthy. Um, yeah, here, here are some of those injuries. And, and you put them in. You put some of them in your depth chart. Colt yeah. Chewins missed the, the, whole, the, the whole season with a back injury. Kevin Jarvis was injured in and out. Higby. Missed the finals. Tyler Higby missed the final six games. Matt Allen missed four games. Uh, Luke Campbell missed two games. And he's had playing. Turned, Luke Campbell turned out he had an ACL injury and he had surgery this month. That's wild. Uh, yeah, it's it's just it's it's been a mess, and I I don't know who you put this blame on. It just kind of happens, but uh, it's got to be better. Yeah, I think part of it is, you know, Michigan State recruits a lot of guards and interior offensive linemen, and then, you know, or it's either that or they're recruiting, you know, these tall guys that they can try to put mass on, put muscle on, put weight on. Like, yeah. you know, Cole Chewins, you know, I think it was a tight end in high school, but he had a 6'8 frame, and they're like, hey, let's, let's bulk him up. And when you're trying to bulk guys up over time, you know, you're putting them out there on the field before they are physically ready to play and things like that. Um, sometimes they get overmatched. Uh, things happen when you do that. So I, I think part of it is their approach to development. I think they need to recruit more true tackles. We've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. Um, guys that already had the, the frame to play. And now it's just about developing them and coaching them up versus, Hey, let's bring a guy, a project in here, put some weight on him and then throw him out there. Um, you know, there are different ways to approach the position, but I think, and again, tackle is the hardest, one of the hardest positions. Darren Harris said this on our podcast last week that, Tackle is one of the hardest positions to recruit and, and coach up. So it's not an easy thing. It's easy easier said than done to just say, yeah, go recruit more tackles. Yeah, do that. But uh, I do think they might have to evaluate how they're bringing these guys in. Because when you look at these injuries, you know, Jordan Reed is one of the few guys that stayed healthy all year. He had, did not have a great year. Um, you know, Matt Carrick was forced to play a lot. He was he I think he was actually decent. But um, when you're expecting guys like Kevin Jarvis and Cole Tunes and AJ Curry, like these, the few guys that you feel good about going the season, none of them are really available to play. Um, that's an issue, and I think it's going to need to be addressed at some point. Um, hopefully, I think the, the hope is that they'll stay healthy in, in 2020, and you can finally see some strides being made uh, with some of these young guys getting worked into the mix. But uh, again, until we see it, it's going to be difficult to evaluate. Yeah, when I look at this MSU offense that we just went over, it, it feels like a group that's like a year away. Yeah, it, it feels like 2020 is going to be a lot of growing pains with a lot of guys, but that there is potential for a lot to happen in 2021. Uh, who's coaching them at that time? Who knows? A lot of things can change, but I, I, I'm not expecting a lot out of this offense next year. Yeah. So again, the young talent's going to have to, you know, 
develop quickly, how quickly it's, it's they develop. Young, yeah, it's like us. it's young guys at every position, basically. <laughs> yeah. To step up, and chances are that's not going to happen. Right, especially when you look at the schedule. You know, the schedule is yes. very, very tough. In some metrics, it is the toughest in the country, and it got a lot tougher when Miami hired Rhett Lashley as offensive coordinator and added De'Aaron King at quarterback, which I know producer Mike uh, absolutely <laughs> loved. Yeah. So... so yeah, that's where the MSU offense stands right now, unless uh, there are some big changes moving forward. Again, we don't know what that could mean coaching-wise. We don't know what that could mean quarterback-wise. But until something changes, we're going to go off of what they have, and what they have is a lot of potential, but just just a lot of potential right now. So that will uh, that'll do it here. Appreciate you guys listening. We will be back next week to talk about um, – Perhaps a defense, perhaps some news of things happen, perhaps recruiting. Kind of got to wait and see at this time of year. Depends on uh, what happens. Uh, but we continue to move forward with this. We appreciate you listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, give us feedback. Uh, I actually got someone DM'd me the other day and said sometimes my my voice uh, gets too loud and too quiet at different times. So I tried to keep it at a, a smaller range this time. So I hope I sounded better on this podcast uh so if anything's uh always appreciate that feedback uh we always read it and we like interacting with everybody uh support is much appreciated so for colton pouncey i am chris vanini thanks to our producer mike zimmerman shout out to the road dog jesse james and for colton for continuing my intros and outros when i'm not here (laughs) and we will see you on the other side